Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the treatment room, everybody. I'm your host, Tessa Zolli. Today's episode is all about one of my favorite topics, barrier health and something called corneotherapy. So if you or your clients have struggled with a compromised barrier, rosacea, or using active ingredients, this is the episode for you. Our guest of the show today is Renee Serbon, corneotherapy expert and skincare educator. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thanks for having me, Tessa. I'm so excited about this conversation we are about to have. Oh, it is such a treat to have you. So thank you so much for saying yes. I would love to ask you, how did you get introduced to aesthetics? What was your path to getting into skincare? You know, I think the path is never straight. And actually, I started doing business studies. And you all probably resonate with this not starting (laughs) in this field yourself. Yes. So off I went, um, already unorthodox in my family. I come from a family of medical professionals and decided to go and do business studies instead. I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose. And, um, you know, the last three years of school, I did homeschooling. And then I had a six-month gap between finishing my high school and going to university and thought, oh my gosh, uh, I came across this nail technology course that I wanted to go and do to see if I can help my mom, who's a chronic nail biter, um, you know, overcome her nails and thought to myself, oh my gosh, this would be perfect because I can set up my own schedule and work to my own tune. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history, because when I actually started to work in the industry to support myself uh, through university, of course, the beauty beast bit me, as I call it. <laughs> and um, yes, and then I segued away from business studies to go and study beauty therapy, as they call it in New Zealand, aesthetics in North America. And um, I did go back and finish my business studies um, after I stepped into the field and a lot of nighttime studies. But, you know, um, I do think I still am fulfilling my childhood dream of being a superstar and teacher in some weird way. So, yes, here I am and definitely not quite the path, you know, I envisioned for myself, but I love, love, love what I do. That is all that matters, just, Mm -hmm. you know, giving yourself the freedom to pursue those curiosities. So I'm really glad we have you in the industry. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) No, it is. Honestly, I I think it's a it's an extremely flexible uh, industry um, and the opportunities are endless. Yes, yes. So Mm -hmm. I know you had a little bit of a a waxing business. Do you want to tell us more (laughs) about the types of jobs you've had in the industry? And then we'll get into corneotherapy and your expertise. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I did aesthetics training in New Zealand, um, we uh, luckily there, it's very different than in North America. So there you definitely have um, the opportunity to sit more of the international examinations. So I did qualify in um, Sedesco and SIBTAC and did uh, extended training in um, electrolysis and other hair removal, you know, uh, methodologies. Um you know, and I was a strong student across the board. Um, but when I stepped into the field, I have to say, again, surprised that things don't always work out the way you envision. Um, I've come to terms with that in my life now. Um, but yes, you know, I come from, as I said, from a medical, very scientific background. So I was very surprised when I ended up like doing a lot of waxing. Now, I was very good at waxing. So, you know, um, I built a reputation for being the meanest wax in town. But my breaking point definitely was um, when I stepped into the clinic for another day of 12 hours and I don't know if I can actually say this on your podcast but I will <laughs> another day of Brazilian waxes back sacks and cracks I was just like is this my future smelling like wax at the end of the day and you know I, I love being the recipient of smooth silky legs um it's just not my jam and doing it so that was like the point for me after okay what do I want out of life here because I do like what I do I just didn't want to do hair removal all day every day I really wanted to help people's skin and like really challenging skin conditions which kind of resonates with my upbringing a little bit more it felt a bit more scientific to me so um, it was a challenge to pursue that um, and find education that I felt was where I wanted it to be to fill the gaps you know um yeah so I often feel like sometimes we we know what we know but you know that there's that one piece of the puzzle missing that is so annoying when you can't find it so <laughs> I feel like life got fulfilled when I found that missing piece of the puzzle <laughs> oh good yeah it's sometimes it can be hard when you know you've trained for something and you're in it and then you have like a little voice in your head saying I don't know if I'm 100% happy. It can be hard to make that transition. I think so. And I think, you know, from the outside in the picture of what we do in our, you know, in, in our little four walls um, day in and day out is, is sometimes a little bit different than the reality actually is. And I, I do love all aspects of um, aesthetics, but I definitely also am a great believer that you need to do what fuels you. And, you know, you, I, my dad always said you can be the jack of all trades and the master of none. And so I wanted to specialize, for lack of a better description, and be a master in a category. Um, and I, I'm very saddened in our industry when, um, as estheticians, we feel like we have to do everything. I feel there's a lot of pressure on you know, offering everything to every client um, where definitely I find where success lies is when I identified what drives me and pursued to specialize in that area. Um, that is how I very quickly became one of the highest paid estheticians that I know even today. Wow. Wow. That's mm -hmm. so incredible. And I'm so glad you said that because that is 
always one of my biggest pieces of advice to estheticians. And it's something I actually didn't realize was okay until I was maybe a year and a half out of SD school talking to one of my mentors and he was encouraging me to specialize like you're saying. And I just, I didn't even know I had that permission because school is so structured to, of course, like give you a experience with every service and and just give you that broad view. But nobody said to me, you can pick one thing that you really love and just focus on that. Exactly. But if you think about it, the medical industry does the same. You start with general medicine and then if you choose to specialize, which is okay not to either if that is your choice. Some people enjoy the variety and the broadness of, you know, of, of a little bit of everything and other people like to specialize in pediatrics and dermatology or whatever and then they spend extra years drilling into that specialty so you know we we can totally do the same we don't and it's funny how we all also think we need permission well, you don't need anyone's right, permission right. you know just do what you what you feel is right you don't have to have all the things and do all the things and be everything to everyone 100%. Thank you so much for saying that. So circling back to what you have found in your expertise, what is corneotherapy for those listening who might not know? Okay, so corne- <laughs> corneotherapy is my very most favorite topic and I live and breathe and eat it pretty much. So in a nutshell, I'll drill it down into very simple form. Corneotherapy is a treatment methodology or a way of thinking about your approach to skin in which we aim to keep the epidermis intact at all times, as opposed to blasting it, scrubbing it, peeling it to oblivion, and then try to fix it. We're literally working on working from the outside in, so fixing the roof first and then going in and dealing with the damage in the house from the leaky roof. Okay, so I think to understand this, I've heard you explain this on a podcast before, you've explained the skin structure and the different layers. Do you mind speaking a little bit about that? Yes, Love that you asked that question. So when we're thinking about the skin barrier and we kind of drill it down for the purpose of this conversation to what, um, you know, what we mean by the skin barrier function itself is the skin barrier comprises of five layers essentially and if we're going from the top down and I know all the estheticians here, their minds immediately go into that linear chart that we had in aesthetic school Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know breaking the layers down so if you kind of use that way of thinking then the first line of skin barrier defense is your acid mantle slash microbiome the second one is actually the corneocyte Third is your multilamellar structure some literature will identify it or write it as the bilayers and then everything else. So it's the three topmost layers that I'm more concerned about than anything else because what we're trying to do is keep the skin intact. And, you know, the acid mantle and the, the corneocyte itself are the first two things that we kind of um, use and abuse a little bit 
too excessively in our industry, in my extremely humble opinion. Um, because even if you overexfoliate or you peel the skin or you do microdermabrasion, for example, you those first two lines of barrier defense is immediately removed. So if there's five layers, that equals 40% of skin barrier function that is removed that has to be repaired for it to be fully optimized. Isn't that crazy when you think about that? 40%. Wow. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening and they're thinking, I offer, you know, microdermabrasion or I offer different forms of exfoliation. Mm -hmm. So would you mind talking a little bit about finding the balance and perhaps like what types of exfoliating treatments allow for optimal skin health rather than compromise it? Absolutely. So and um, as an, a member of the Board of Education of the International Association of Applied Corneotherapy, this is something that we get asked a lot. So I do want to say that um, first I upset people and they get very, <laughs> very upset with me. It's like, what are you saying? This is all the things I'm doing all the time, but it's okay. Right. You know, <laughs> we're not saying never do anything that you already know. What we're saying is perhaps starting point is to reconsider the order in which you do things so um and you have to match the activity of what you're doing for the client on their basic skin type so you know obviously on a rosacea client as an example i'm never going to haul out the big guns for somebody who's already quite reactive right yes right so so alternatives um you know that type of more delicate skin more compromised skin who's already having an a, a triggered immunity or a, immune response with their skin i'm not gonna haul out things like microdermabrasion but i do like alternative options my first focus is to repair that skin barrier function we use very um, bio uh, mimicking lipids in particular to con to accomplish that and i'm gonna bring in exfoliating treatments a little bit down the line if at all i really want to make sure the skin barrier is functioning optimally first and i personally would be leaning more towards exfoliating treatments such as enzymes and um, very gentle mechanical um, exfoliating products like a um, like um, ones that ne doesn't necessarily have like the apricots crushed and put in there that can really mm. like make those little um, microvisures in your skin, but instead using smart ingredients like hydrogenated jojoba, for example, which is round, it's flexible, it also is um, environmentally friendly, for example. So we're choosing things that has a bio affinity with the skin and as far as possible, try to protect the skin to do what it's designed to do to begin with. Perfectly said. Okay. I want to touch on some of the ingredients that you like for repairing a compromised skin barrier. If somebody is listening and they have clients who maybe their skin just stings all the time, it's super compromised. Mm -hmm. What would be an example of a routine that you would recommend? Mm -hmm. So it's a loaded question. Um, 
it's, it's sometimes better to think of what we don't want in a product line than what we do want in a product line. So um, for uh, extremely compromised skin, I try to stay away from categories such as emulsifiers is a big one, um, preservatives, mineral oils, silicones, mm -hmm. fragrances, very sensitizing. Um, and colorants in skincare line. So those are like the categories of ingredients I avoid. And well, for me, it's in skin in general because I practice corneotherapy fully. Mm. Okay, I'm a I'm a practicing corneotherapist. So secondary to that, um, there are some real nasty emulsifiers that for an already compromised skin can be very irritating and aggravating, such as um, laurel sulfate, for example. So those are definitely a, a nasty one. You know, the, the, we often find it in shampoos. So you also have to kind of ask your clients what they're using in shampoos. And I listened to one of your episodes where you're talking about, you know, like really taking a big analysis for your skin, for your client's skin, and not just asking about their skin, but you got to ask what's in their makeup, what's in their shampoo, mm -hmm. what, what is their nutritional intake, all these things are pieces of the puzzle into explaining why we're seeing what we're seeing in the client in front of us at that point in time. So, yes. um, yeah, so making smarter choices, things that are, so surfactants are emulsifiers are same thing. Surfactants is what it's called when it's in, um, uh, usually in a cleansing type of product. Um, I think the stripping of the skin, if I say it in lamest terms, if you strip the skin, um, you know, you're having issues. So if your client's skin squeaks, you've stripped and that mm. will lead to more problems. It's not the kitchen floor. It's a living organ. So I think over cleansing and over exfoliating is a big aggravating factor for many skin conditions that we see in clinic in today's time. Yes, you said so many interesting things. And what I love about corneotherapy is it really is what you were referring to. It's an inside out approach where it really encompasses the holistic picture. And, you know, of course, it's so much about the products that are being used, but it's also about these other factors and, and even lifestyle factors. Would you be willing to talk about some of those elements that can impact barrier health sort of outside of products, but things that may be a little bit more internal oh absolutely so we in corneotherapy um our stance is that the corneocyte is or the keratinocyte i should say is the king of the castle and the keratinocyte goes through a differentiation process to become and differentiate into the corneocyte I think that when we're really digging in, if I can get really skin nerdy here for a second, because, hey, this is the we podcast it. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So think about that, that the um, keratinocyte, which is like a square, juicy cell at that stratum granulosum layer that over, as it goes through the five layers of the epidermis, it kind of gets flatter and flatter and flatter cornified and at the end if all things go well it will dissolve that little um hemidesmosome um and you know shed which is ideally what should happen if all things go well now 
that at its basis, remember we said is how we get to our second line of skin barrier defense. But in that um, uh, keratinocyte life cycle, there are things given to us by this amazing little cell that actually contributes to making the acid mantle as well. So we have within the cell the Oddland body story and the Oddland body stores um, lipid or oil oils that matures um, in this maturation process of the keratinocyte um, as it grows through the gra uh, stratum granulosum layer we kind of get um, a little bit of a gift from the oddland body in terms of lipid uh, epidermal lipids for our skin now that in itself is super important because if it is dependent on the nutritional intake from the client that indicates what we get at the end in that compaction process. So if there is no lipid intake from the client, in other words, no omegas, then there's going to be nothing in the cell to give in this um, cornification process at the end at all. And tied at the same time with that, and I dig into this so deep when I do training, it's a bit crazy, um, is this natural moisturizing factor story that you also get the NMF um, released out of the cell. And then, of course, they mix together to partly form um, the acid mantle. But we also have, obviously, our, um, um, our sweat and other lipids from other, from, uh, you know, it's not as simple as just from the cell itself. Let me just put it like that. There's things in the cell and around the cell that contributes to making up this acid mantle at the end of the day. Um, but then, but the the lipid content is the, is very big. So when we're asking clients to um, to make better choices for their skin, we're really focused on the lipids. Water is easier to fix because your client simply has to drink more and it's your client's responsibility. That's not something I take on board personally because I would have sleepless nights and I already am an insomniac. So, <laughs> you know, they got to gobble up the stuff. You can't make clients do that. You can bring to the horse to the water, but you cannot make them drink. Oh, isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they have to drink the water, but we really want to educate them a little bit more about that lipid component because it's a bit trickier to address than the water side of it. Water side, simple, just drink the stuff. Oil, the, you know, the omega um, three and six um, metabolic process is a little bit more cumbersome mm. to actually see that as an end result in skin but I can spot my clients a mile away who are really good at nutritionally um, hitting those marks of enough omega content or uh, lipid content in their in their diets um, so that's really important aside from the actual physical cell flattening itself and interlocking with its neighboring cells to give us that physical barrier um, from the skin so you have uh, three things simultaneously if you just think about the corneocyte itself is the cell uh, envelope at the end of the day itself the oddland body story and the nmf story at the so same time and it, it you know when we do drill down into the technicalities of it that nmf is very uh, leads to things like the pro filigrin degrading down to filigrin 
Um, and that is really important in skin barrier uh, function because clients who have a filigree deficiency, um, they're going to have, they present with things like eczema, psoriasis, mm-hmm. um, you know, highly reactive skins. Um, and they usually have a history of things like peanut allergies and even asthma as well. So those clients, uh, typically you kind of need to give products to them that has that one to one to one ratio um, of free fatty acids, um, cholesterol and ceramides. Okay, that was so much good information. I want to ask more about the omegas because I'm not a nutritionist, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. I believe that's something our body cannot make on its own. and, And maybe that's why you're alluding to why diet is so important. Absolutely. And I'm not a nutritionist either, but what I do know relevant to skin is that correct, that we don't metabolize um, omega, so we are dependent on nutritional intake for it. So very important. Um, Omega-9 is metabolized with three and six present. Six is much easier to obtain in our diet Three is what we're chasing when we're talking supplementation. So Mm. I recommend all my clients on a good quality multivitamin and an omega supplement. And I partner with nutritionists in my area because it's not my field of expertise to help Mm. them get on the right doses. But I do know that the literature says um, for skin health that you do need to take more quantity of omega than you would need for um, internal health. So um, the, the, the suggestion is a, a thousand to three thousand international units of omega three a day. So I kind of get them to double check that with their healthcare providers because there's some people have contraindications to high levels. And of course, you don't mm. start high either because your gut has a certain tolerance that has to be adapted. And it's not easy. You know, I know all these things, but I'm intrinsically lipid dry myself. So this oil story is for me personally quite a challenge as well. Yes. And I think a question we we sort of get trained to ask in SD school is about whether somebody's on medication because I've experienced this too, taking hypothyroid medication. I know that can really um, dry out some of my lipid content as well. And it's something I noticed in skin analysis. A lot of people who are on medication, such as thyroid medication, have uh, a more tendency to have drier skin. Oh, definitely. And some medications additionally make you photosensitive. So when I'm thinking about the skin barrier, you know, the the melanocyte is part of that. Uh, Melanocyte is the fourth in line of skin barrier defense. So um, the reality when you're taking a corneotherapy approach, yes, you are rebuilding the skin barrier itself, but you're also restoring cell membranes of every cell of the epidermis. And, you know, I, I, I love that um, way of approaching skin because if I have a more viable cell membrane, then I am improving oxygen intake of the cells, um, waste removal of the cells, 
um, you know, the hormones, um, you know, mm. also have uh, cell communication um, and the cells uh, communicating with each other. So the keratinocyte itself will talk to every, every other cell of the epidermis. In turn, you need like your melanocyte to talk to your keratinocyte in order to um, activate its receptor to take pigment granules on board and do what it's meant to do. So if this the melanocyte cell membrane is compromised and unable to pick up the pigment um, as it is passed to the uh, keratinocyte uh, to the melanocyte yeah to the keratinocyte from the melanocyte sorry um you know you're talking about cell viability here and if the cells are unable to perform that function then what do we end up with um clients with complaining about pigmentation premature aging inflammation of the skin mm-hmm. um dry itchy flaky skin mm-hmm. so it makes a lot of common sense to make sure that you're repairing skin barrier function because then your cell-to-cell communication is better and any treatment modality you choose then is going to have a better outcome anyway. Who in here listening to this would not want that? I want my clients (laughs) to have the best results possible. So I'm happy to take that time to first repair skin barrier function, following the principles of cornea therapy, and then bring in my corrective treatment modalities. Renee, when you are performing a skin analysis, I'd love to hear more about what are you looking for? What are the questions that you're asking? And how would you know somebody has, you know, a compromised barrier? Okay, so I love diagnostic tools as well. Um, but there's key things that I that I ask. So uh, compromised skin, sometimes there's intrinsic factors, as we mentioned, the things that you are born with, and then the extrinsic things, the choices your clients make after the day they were born, that kind of contributes to the entire picture here. So age is number one gotta confess your age I call it literally the confessional they're confessing all their sins (laughs) and then we kind of flag their offenses of their lifetime (laughs) it feels like a bit of a sentence true yeah we're like plain little detective here we gotta ask the questions a hundred percent so um Age is very important because I want to know what the chronological age of the cells or of the client, in other words, who's made up of all the cells, <laughs> um, is so how how big is the battle I'm fighting here to begin with? Because let's be real, the melanocyte in particular, he ages extremely fast but lives very long. So I want to be realistic about the outcomes that I can accomplish for my clients. Secondary to that, I'm going to ask questions about you know where they were born I want to understand the genetic history because this is going to tell me a lot of things about indicators about um you know acceleration in cell aging so do they have the redhead gene if they um you know Uh, have Scottish genealogy but they live with me here in Penticton which is like vacationville super sunny place lying by the lake all all the time Um, then that's an issue because they're not under the cloud in Scotland that is you know where they're genetically you know meant to be 
um, and paraphrase and you know air brackets as you say, um, because their sun exposure is way more than their um, than their skin can actually handle. So then of course there's um, more oxidative stress, more lipid peroxidation, and the whole cellular aging process is accelerated for these people, um, and the risk of skin cancer is obviously. Um, something I actually take into consideration because they're way more exposed to the sun than they in theory should be. Um, and then lifestyle choices, um, you know, do they wear sunscreen? Are they an outdoor person? Do they have an office job? All these things are really important to take into consideration. And then I want to know what they eat and when they eat it, like, do they have dinner way too late? Because now I'm thinking, um, what is their absorption? Can they actually absorb the nutrients that they're eating? And then, you know, if they eat too late, then they might not have enough time to absorb, fully absorb all the nutrients that they're taking in. Um, and are there things, you know, even things like um, habits of alcohol intake, are there things that is blocking essential fatty acids from, you know, doing what they're meant to do, um, you know, which might lead to something um, like essential fatty acid deficiency. So, you know, do they have blocking factors in place? So I go through all of that, including their medical history. And I also ask them about the medical history of any relatives, in particular things like eczema, psoriasis, um, asthma, and those types of con conditions that have a genetic component to them because that will affect um, uh, corneocyte compaction um, if they have a genetic link to that potentially. So it's like, a, I call it the FYI flag. I just want to know for my information so to better prepare a treatment program. Um, then I haul out my machine that I measure the water content of their skin, the oil content. I measure pigment and inflammation or erythema of the skin. So I actually can measure their Fitzpatrick skin type, which now tells me a lot of information about their risk for pigmentation, um, you know, based on their Fitzpatrick skin type measured scientifically. So um, the next thing that I do is take photos. So I love using diagnostic devices that uses um, cross polarization, UV light, so I can see underneath the skin. But if you don't have these tools, then I highly encourage you to at least take photos of your client's skin with your cell phone. Document a baseline of them coming to see you so that you can track their results down the road as well. Um, so all of these things um, gives me pieces of information to help me design a treatment program for them. And I don't know about you guys, but I ask my clients for a minimum six month commitment if they want to work with me. Ah, oh, I love that. Yes. Wow. We need the dedication. Yes. One cellular life cycle is two to four weeks at best. Ah, so, okay. you know, if you're not going to give me a month to begin with, forget it. Yeah. Um, six months is really where I, the commitment that I want in order to get over the hurdle that brought me into the, that brought them into my doors to begin with. And this is what I teach my clients to do as well, because these days, obviously I do a lot of education in the industry. Um, 
And it is, you know, I think we're, we can't be short-sighted here. We are in this for the long game for our clients. Um, and I think making sure that we set that expectation that this is not a one facial wonder is really important right. that people understand it's a relationship and that is a long-term relationship and you are their skin health guide. Mm, oh, I love that way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Very important. You have to secure your future work. Yes, yes. And to just set the expectation that it's not an overnight thing and you do need the commitment and for people to, to understand it's, it can take a bit of time because we're repairing, we're thinking, think about all those skin structures you're talking about, Renee, we're working on repairing those layers. Absolutely. And how much money have you spent learning about each and every cell and each and every layer? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I do my skin centric business formula program, I teach people it's like you've got to set that long term expectation. You in one powerful consultation, I set up work for myself and my team in a one hour. OK, I'll confess I, I book mine for an hour and a half. But it's worth it to me because I book work for my entire team just from one consultation for a year or more. I have like an annual little calendar that I show my clients what their journey might look like if they choose to do all the things. And it just plants those seeds of what the potential is. And then they can choose what they want to do. You know, we're all adults. So at the end of the day, right. they choose, but I'm not in their pocket. And I just tell them, this is, you know, what I'm assessing. This is what we can help you with. These are the action steps you need to take to get from point A to point B. And they choose whether they fill the prescription or not. Hmm. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think a lot of us can struggle with rebooking and, you know, having the, I guess it's confidence to say, let's set up, you know, a bit of a program with you and sort of schedule when you're coming back. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for, for sort of like having that actual conversation with people? Because you're right, it's not, we're not forcing anyone to do it. And I think that's maybe where the fear comes from. Like, ah, I don't want to make them, you know, feel like they have to come back and, and for them to feel like mm -hmm. I'm just trying to make money off of them. But that's not the point. Your best interest mm -hmm. is getting them the results. Well, 100%, that's why they came into your door to begin with. It's actually your professional obligation to give them the options, to, you know, to work with you or to not work with you. That, yeah. that you cannot be in clients' pockets because you don't know how important it is to them to have, to, to, to you know, manage their rosacea or to get on top of their acne, whatever it is that brought them to your door, they may be prepared to live on two minute noodles for six months in order to get that accomplished in their life. Right, right. You know, because you think like that could be something that is like a, 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 a issue in terms of their self-confidence. So, you know, when I work with people, I love helping them. My, it's my passion to help people be feel beautiful and confident in their own skin and also to help experts in the beauty industry to become profitable and confident entrepreneurs. So, you know, if you need to borrow some phrases from somebody else until that confidence is very internal for you, do it. 
but they've come to you for an, a professional opinion, just like you're going to go to your doctor when you are sick with something, the doctor's going to go, okay, go through his consultation or her consultation process, identify what's wrong. And often it results in like a prescription for the problem to handle the problem. Your doctor doesn't go, oh, okay, well, you have this option of an antibiotic, but if you want a cheaper option, you could also use this mm. one and maybe there's that one. No, they're going to give you the antibiotic you need to fix the problem. Why are we not thinking that way? So I literally, when clients come through, it's like, this is what I see. This is what I've assessed because we can't diagnose, so I assess. Um this is the tools that we have that can help, the products that we have that can help. And this is the manner, you even have to tell them how to do it. I think as estheticians, we mm. often assume people know how to do it. So this is the the order and, you know, the do's and don'ts and, you know, do A, then B, then C. And I kind of tell them what that is and assume that they want the outcome, which is why they came to the door and if they decide that that's not for them, it's up to them to inform me. It's called fully informed consent. I have to give them all the information to make a decision themselves. Right. And then it's it's up to them. If they decide they don't want to come back, that's, that's the worst that could happen. Like, there's nothing to lose. A hundred percent. And we're so fearful of losing people. Do you know, I don't even have all the technology in my own place here. I have my tools that I like. And beyond that, if I don't have something, but I know it will be beneficial to the client, I refer them to somebody else that you might consider my competition to have that done. And I don't worry if they're going to choose to come back or not. I know they're going to come back because I'm ace at what I do. And if they choose mm. not to, then they're not meant to be my client to begin with. We, somebody else is going to come in who wants to work with me and for, you know who is my ideal avatar client. Yes, yes. I think that's the attitude I want us all to have. And something I've heard you speak on is imposter syndrome. Would you mind talking a little bit more about that and how, how we SDs can overcome it and kind of step into our power and, you know, maximize our futures? Yes. So I do a little exercise with my clients that I would love for all the listeners here to do. I want you to go and think about how much time have you spent on knowing what you know. You know, that extra webinar you did. Did we not all just do extra webinars on the sanitization processes of our clinics? All right. Like that's so calculate the time and then how much you earn an hour. So the cost associated with that. If there were costs to the course that you took, and I'm talking like right from your basic aesthetic license training. Calculate that. Aren't you worth asking the price? And don't you think that after you've accumulated all this information, and I know that you're researching on top of that at night, because I just mentioned like omega 3s, omega 6, omega 9s. I know we're all going to be Googling that you know, and doing our um, more research on our own time. Ingredients, you know, how many hours have you spent on Mr. Google? So 
definitely calculate that and decide like, wow, you are knowledgeable. You have accumulated this wealth of knowledge already. And the imposter syndrome is us feeling like we're, we perhaps we don't know as much. Perhaps somebody mm. else knows a bit more. The client chose to come to you to begin with. So you pull out the best that you have got at that point in time and deliver it. When you know more, you're going to give more to your clients. When you know better, you're going to do better. This is a progressive path. That's not, there is no destination. I mean, yes, you, you kind of have, but even if you reach a destination, where's your next stop? You reset the GPS and go to the next place. So the other thing that I say to people is if you don't believe that you are good at what you do, why should your client, why should they choose you if you don't believe that yourself? So if you need a little pep talk before you step into the clinic and on the floor in the morning, just, you know, look in the mirror, write a few things on there and you got to get to a point with at least some level of believing. And if it's easier for you to start with doing, you know, having that confidence in one or two little things, like for me initially, it's like, I knew I could wax anybody like silky smooth that wanted to. I had very challenging clients as well with, you know, they all came to me. I had a, um, uh, a very hairy, um, he won't mind me saying this because he's in New Zealand and it's many years ago. Um, he was a martial artist and he wanted to have full body waxes when he went to international competitions because otherwise the, his competitors would grab his hair <laughs> in competition. So, but, oh my gosh, such strong, like, you know, terminal hairs. And he came and sucked up a full body wax once a month, especially for three months before big competitions. <laughs> so, yes, you know, so I, you know, that's like one thing that's like the more you do something, the more confidence right. you get into it. So that's also why I say if you, if you don't like to do waxing and you'd rather do something else, have your mindset, talk what it is you want to do, even if you're not doing a lot of it yet. So when I decided I'm going to go skin in, like all I want to do is mm -hmm. skin correction, which now I, I don't do any grooming services, haven't for 12, 13, 15 years. So talk what you want to do. Your, you know, it will come, mm. what you, where you put your energy is where it flows for, for, a, for lack of a better description. So if you want more skin clients, talk more skin. If you want more waxing clients, talk more waxing. Speak it into existence. Yes, pretty much. And believe that you can, even if it's just one little component of it. So, you know, start with one skin condition, for example, that you feel super comfortable with and then grow into the other things. But you got to have some self-belief in order for your clients to believe it too. Oh, yes, it's so true. And it, it does get better with time. Like none of us start out perfect. And it kind of is that repetition and even like failing over and over. Eventually, it does cultivate little wins and those just build upon each other. And eventually you do gain that confidence. Oh, absolutely. I've fallen on my face so many times with failing, but I don't choose to look at it as failing. I'm like, oh, I just learned the lesson how not to do that thing. So how else can we position it? How else can I 
you know, recommend it or showcase it or talk about it. Um, yeah, so don't don't fear failure because do you know what? With if people look from the outside in, I have never had somebody come to me and say, Renee, you failed at this and you <laughs> failed at that. No, we no. all put out the highlight reels. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty transparent, so I'm happy to talk about my failures, but that's not what you're gonna see on my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed all the time. We, you know, you put your, you, and that's not really going to remember it for you. Remember it for your wins, not for your fails. Exactly. It's not what other, if you make a mistake, I promise you, it's not what somebody else, like even your boss, they're not going to think on it for months and months. So sometimes we have to just forgive ourselves because every expert I've had on this podcast, including you, Renee, they all start somewhere. And sometimes we think, especially as new SDs, like I'm really the only one going through this. I'm the only one who's learning. I'm the only one who's struggling. But no, we all really start somewhere and make these mistakes. Um, You have to remember two things. You know, I think that there's always somebody a few steps ahead of you and there's always somebody a few steps behind you. So you're at all times, I'm always learning something and teaching something. That's just the way it is. There's always somebody to aspire, who is aspiring to where you are, even if you don't feel like it. And you are always aspiring to reach a place where, you know, somebody is who's a few steps ahead of you. And that's fine. This is not a competition. That's one thing I really hate about our industry. I feel that it can be a little bit catty, for for lack of a better word. Why are we not all supporting and championing each other and want to see each other succeed? There truly is enough room under the sun for all of us. And one person exceeding in something doesn't equal you not being able to exceed. They're not taking any way, anything away from your path, so to say. Um, you know, so so yeah, we have to get over that. And the truth of the matter is your clients want to see you succeed too. They're they're championing you along the way too. So I often say to people on a um on a clinical basis not so much business to business but you know business to end consumer so my you know clients who step into my treatment room um I just say to them you know I can't help if I don't know so if something goes wrong or something doesn't feel right please let me know straight away and give me the opportunity to address it I literally can't do anything if I don't know so they're from that very first meeting they all know that I want to know if things are not going the way they thought it would go. Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's something. You know, I tend to push skin a little bit because I do a lot of clinical studies as well. Um, but that's the rule. Don't give up. Just let me know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, especially if you are in the business of specializing in repairing barriers, you're going to have a more sensitive pool of people. And Renee, this was actually a question I had from one of my followers on Instagram. She wanted to know, how can you sort of, you know, beyond just repairing, are there are there other things that estheticians can do to incorporate corneotherapy in more of a standard practice, such as a business with chemical peels? She's wondering 
is that something you're implementing to strengthen the barrier, just making sure you do it at the right time? I love that question because, frankly, when I started on the path of corneotherapy, I was not in a clinic where I chose what products we used. I had to use what we had. And, of course, we had targets for performing certain treatments. Um, So I get that we don't always have it 100% the way we would. And that is, you know, you have to be respectful for the, uh, the place that you work with and, like, hit those targets and that, you know, fulfill the business vision as well. So, yes, the good news is absolutely Um, If we use chemical peels as an example, I would say just change the methodology of thinking because oftentimes with chemical peels, I find it's the first thing people go to. Our industry is very quick to kind of peel and then go and fix. I recommend and corneotherapy recommends doing it the other way. You repair the skin barrier first, then do the thing you want to do and then repair again. We talk about the three R's of corneotherapy, repair, replenish, and rejuvenate. So um, yes, we if you're bringing in modalities like that, your timing has to be right. I always repair the skin barrier first, then might bring in a corrective thing. Let's call it a, 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 a chemical peel at this point, but you got to make sure that you know how to repair it as well. And even when we're talking things like laser technology i'm not saying never do that even though a lot of it is not what we would consider truly corneotherapeutic but there are um, benefits to treatments we're saying choose the the size of the gun appropriate to the skin in front of you and choose it at the right time and we do know uh, with treatments like laser um, uh, methodologies that um, if we do corneotherapy principles and re- prepare the skin, then do the service and then heal the skin, facilitate a, you know the recovery of the skin barrier afterwards, the client's tolerance to the treatment is better. In other words, it's less painful and their recovery is also faster. There's some great research out on this, um, especially out of Spain. Um, so yes, that's how you would start to incorporate it into a clinic when you don't necessarily have um, the choice of treatment modalities available to you. Then I say do the best that you can and just make sure you're always focused on going, starting with repair and going back to repair. I love that. And so you're saying we SDs don't have to go out and throw away our retinols or our vitamin Cs or, you know ingredients we consider tried and true you're just saying implement at the right time yes and things like vitamin c and retinols i prefer retinol palmitate um they're not a no in the world of corneotherapy um but i am going to repair your skin barrier first and the ones that i use for example are encapsulated at liposome and nanoparticle technology that are um biomimicking so they're totally you're allowed to have actives in a cornea therapy process absolutely i love my vitamin a and my vitamin c i like vitamin b too because pigment is my issue um Mm. yeah so there's a lot of um uh, i have an array because i customize skincare in my clinic and um i have over 40 active agent concentrates I choose from to facilitate that corrective process. But I always am going to repair your skin barrier. Then we're going to bring in the corrective phase in your plan. 
And that is either in the products that you use at home and or the treatments that I do in clinic. So I love dermal needling is one of my favorite treatments to do. Oh, love collagen induction therapy. I love LED. I I love microcurrent. They're the things that I use most. Um, even IPL, for example, I don't have an IPL these days, but I refer people who need it, but I'm doing like all the things before they do it. And I might choose to do it in winter as opposed to summer. Um, so choose wisely and always keep that skin barrier protection in mind. Amazing. I'm so glad you clarified it because I think there is a little bit of a misconception when it comes to corneotherapy that it's only the one R you mentioned, which is just, you know, reparative oils, moisturizer, but it's more than just moisturizer. It's what you said, just making sure the barrier is intact at all times. So even when you go to these step up treatments, like a chemical Mm -hmm. peel or introducing actives, we're just, we're doing it in a way that is actually productive and the client can receive it properly. That's right, because see, something like vitamin A, your skin has receptors in order to absorb it, your corneocyte. So you, if my cell is more viable, it's going to be more happy to actually take on board um, the ingredients that I am wanting it to take on board. So that just makes like common sense to me, um, but that might only be me. Um, so you know yes and I bring up you know I use hyaluronic acid boswellia all these things I use a lot of lipid containing things as well like kiwi seed oil for example but oh we have a big arsenal of very active ingredients and the liposomal and nanoparticulate. So don't be fooled by the science. This is, it seems bioidentical and kind of very mundane, (laughs) but believe you me, I have triggered reactions in skins when I have chosen something too frisky for the skin, a hundred percent. So, um, you know, um, yes, it doesn't mean that, that you can't do big, significant things in the skincare regime for clients but it is paired with things like phosphatidylcholine ceramide squalene um Mm. you know parky butter things like that that's consistently repairing skin barrier while we're using the actives at the same time wonderful i think that's all such great information renee if estes listening are wanting to become a master of corneotherapy like you, do you have any suggestions for resources they could consume or, or places to get more educated? Yes. Well, obviously I'm on the board of education for the, um, for the corneotherapy association. So I would say corneotherapy.org is a really great resource for people who want to learn more about corneotherapy and the association of uh, applied corneotherapy is um, non-product aligned as well so that's really important to me that people have a place where they can get non-biased information as well Mm. so corneotherapy.org is a great place to learn about it I have a lot of um, articles published on there and of course um, you can look me up, um, reneesorbon.com, and all my social handles, like I'm on Facebook and Instagram, all the links are there on my Facebook. Um, but yes, definitely reach out if you want me to point you in the right direction. And if you, that, um, 
your audience want to know like how we would talk about what to do at home on a daily basis, I have a wonderful quiz on my Facebook page that you can take to establish what your basic skin type is. And from a cornea therapeutic angle, it will tell you the do's and don'ts for your skin type. So Wonderful. Yeah, perfect. I'll make sure to list all of those links in the description box so you guys listening can easily find those resources and, and connect with Renee. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Renee. It was so great to have you. Thank you for answering all of my questions so eloquently, and I'm just so glad we got to connect. Thank you so much, Renee, for joining us, and thank you all for listening. We will talk to you in a future episode. Bye.